This is a podcast by The Straits Times. I personally once bought an Audi TT Coupe, uh, sorry, convertible, at night from a private owner. I didn't realise there was a hole in the roof. <laughs> and I was so surprised he sold me at wait, such wait, a good price. this is before you joined Caro. Uh, this is before, this is before uh, okay, I joined Caro. We, we need to yeah. Yeah, let so, your boss know yeah. that. <laughs> so, and then, we did it at night. And uh, I remember like somewhere in Siglap, there was no light and I couldn't see clearly. I thought it was a pretty okay car. But then I didn't realise that there was a hole in the roof and that hole costs $8,000 to fix because it's a cabriolet roof. Yeah, so that was, a, that was a learning experience for me. Never buy cars in the dark. You're listening to COE Watch, a podcast by The Straits Times. I'm Lee Nian Jo and I cover transport news and motoring trends. At COE Watch, we talk about the what and how about this uniquely Singapore creation, the COE. A Certificate of Entitlement, or COE for short, gives you the right to own and register a vehicle in Singapore. And this COE does not include the price of the vehicle itself. On this episode, we're going to talk about something that is really closely related to COEs, even if it may not seem like it at first glance. You may know them as second-hand cars, used cars, or pre-owned cars. And they're as important to the whole ecosystem of private transport as the brand new ones that we all like to talk about. Join me in my chat with Mr. Kwan Yu Tan, the country manager of Caro, one of the largest used car dealerships around. Hello, Kwan Yu. Thanks for coming. Hi, Ninjo. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about this business that you're in? This, what does Caro do? Okay, Caro, in, in detail, what we do is we buy and sell cars to everyone, including dealers and consumers. So we also have a subsidiary Genie and another subsidiary Caro Leasing, and we do leasing and financing of vehicles in Singapore as well. So I would say the largest parts of my workday are focused on cars. We buy and sell them to dealers and we buy and sell them to consumers. Mm, so you deal in the used car scene both in terms of retail to the end user as well as wholesale to other people in the trade who will then resell these vehicles. Am I correct? That's correct. For used cars. For new cars, we also buy, lease, we also finance them. Mm, okay, I want to really find out a little bit on the fundamentals, right? A used car 101. And one question is, where do used cars actually come from? Where do you get these cars? Okay, so the way I think about it is we first have to establish where do used cars go, right? Because okay. in, in Singapore, a COE is, is a right for you to drive a car for 10 years. Yes. So the amount of cars in Singapore, about 650,000 last I checked, it circulates in the event that you take a car out of commission, so you deregister it or you remove it from the population, a new COE is then created such that someone else can buy the car. With that being said, we must understand that the value of a car in Singapore is higher than if it were to be exported most of the times because when the car is brought into Singapore, it's paid hefty taxes. We calculate what's the sort of a residual value of the car a reduction year by year. We call that depreciation. Now, when we're thinking about that, if for some reason the car uh, is worth more if it's deregistered and you get back the paper value and then you export this car overseas, I think in 2015, we saw that happen. So we see cars started to be exported overseas. But if we remove that scenario, most of the time, cars will run to the 10-year mark in Singapore. Okay, so that 2015 example that you cited is about cars that were kind of, their lives in Singapore was cut short, right? Yes. So they wanted to, to um, the owners wanted to get back the residual value of the COE and put the cars out and export them. That's right. And I think these cars, I think they were about five years old. They could be exported to African and oceanic countries. And then they got... Um, pretty decent sort of body values for the car in those countries. So mm. that was like a, a a few years back. Now we don't see this 
anymore at the moment. And what we're seeing is cars are being driven all the way to the end of life, the 10 years. Ah, okay. So the end of life now. And on this note, there's a lot of, it sounds like there's a lot of money involved. Where do used car dealers get their funding from? Where's, where's this money? Okay, so think about it this way, right? A car dealer owns a car for a very short period of time. Let's say between 21 to 90 days. Well, what we're saying is that within these 21 to 90 days, there's an opportunity for them to make money. And therefore, I think it's actually fairly obtainable to get financing. You can go to financial institutions or you can go to banks and they'll be happy to lend you money for what we call floor stock or inventory financing. So it's easy to get, let's say, between 90 to 100% of the car value financing. And typically, we're looking at slightly over 1% a month in interest. If you think about it as a car dealer, you pay $1,000 of interest a month for a car that's worth about $100,000 and you have the opportunity to make, let's say, five dollars to $8,000, that's a good deal for you without putting up any cash, right? Mm, yes, that's, that explains a lot because another question often crosses my mind at least on the consumer end is that when I get a car from uh, a used car, right, a pre-owned car, it tends to come with a lot of we call strings attached, specifically like, oh, the loans are more expensive, higher interest charge here, and then admin charge. There are all kinds of fees that kind of, in my impression, it feels like they're, 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 you pay more than what you do than buying a brand new car. Is that a correct perception? Mm. Or just some bad hats? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of both, definitely. I think there is not enough transparency in the market. So everybody who goes to buy a used car may get a very different sort of approach and uh, uh, understanding of the industry. Uh, it's also not regulated versus uh, like insurance agents and real estate agents. You have a licensing body. Car brokers or car dealers have no licensing body here. So anyone can be a car dealer tomorrow. And then I would say that largely it's a misconception that it is more expensive to get a used car because the truth is used cars offer slightly more affordability than new cars. Well, affordability here is just that the sum looks smaller, right? Is that what we're saying? Or is it actually better value in terms of a per year basis? I, I, I spend less on the car versus a new one. Okay. And, and of course, this changes according to the COE, right? So in certain years, then if you buy used cars, it is really expensive. But then when you look back, oh, new cars are cheaper. So I think avoiding all these pitfalls, the amount you pay monthly is slightly lower than that of a new car simply because most used cars in the market start from being about two to three years old and the monthly payments you make on the loan uh, is a little bit lower. Mm, okay, so basically you're saying that the amount of financing you need is also lower and that equals to just paying less. Just paying less, yes. Now this, this question on value of cars, right? Used cars and new cars, what is this relationship? I think my understanding is there's something to do with COEs. COE values goes up, new cars have become more expensive and to me at least mysteriously, the used cars have become more expensive. Okay, so I would say that interestingly, how, how we look at cars or how car dealers look at cars, um, it's very similar to how people think about houses, right? Which is how much does it cost to buy a new one in this area and how much does it cost to buy a used one in this area? for houses, right? Okay, and for cars, it's probably about the same. Mm -hmm. Well, if the new car is going at 100000 a five-year-old car should cost me 50000 That makes sense because the new car, I can drive it for 10 years and the used one, I should be able to drive it for five years. That's actually how people are pricing cars today. But I need to argue this because that used car did not incur, like, when a new car price go up, typically we are told because COE is up, because we buy the car complete with the COE. So if the COE is X dollars, 
we need to load it onto the car price. Now, if X dollars and it goes up by X plus 10%, so my used car price have to reflect that. Why does the used car need to reflect that when it's the same COE inside? Okay, I have to buy the used car from someone to sell a used car to someone. Right? That, that's what makes us a platform. Yes. But if you think about it, the person selling his car is not going to accept a lower value because he bought it cheap. He, even if he bought it at a much lower COE, he expects the market value. And, and most of the time, what they do is these owners who want to sell their car go on multiple sites, including Caro, to get a quotation on how much their car is worth. And after a few of these um, platforms, they actually get a com- sort of a true-to-market price on the car. And that's actually what he intends to sell it for. So if COE goes up, he's not going to think, I bought it cheap, so I want to sell it cheap. I think everybody's practical here. Also, this is, this is an interesting point here. Because I'm also thinking as you're raising this, is that the owner of the existing vehicle who is selling it, he wants the high price that matches the new COE. Do you also see from your experience, is he also, he or she, that's having to trade in or give up this vehicle, so looking for his, his or her next vehicle? Yeah, I would say that at least 60% of people are selling their cars um, because they are looking at a new car or different car or they have something they don't like about their car. Maybe they have a new kid or he might have gotten a divorce and now would like to drive a sports car, you know? <laughs> they, they are looking for a, a, a new solution. So they're replacing their existing vehicle. Exactly. And then I think the remaining 40, I think, of course, Interestingly, I think 10 to 20% of cases are people who um, maybe have passed away or leaving the country. And then the remainder are just, I don't need to drive anymore because uh, maybe Grab is too convenient. Like They also sort of age out of the situation. They got too old. Their kids got older, so they no longer need a car. Yeah, so 20% of that will reflect, I don't need a car anymore. 20% um, just not here anymore. And 60% is still looking for cars. So the majority, a slight majority, 60%, are actually in in the race they're always like exchanging vehicles whether uh, old for older old for newer old for brand new sort of thing right so so that's how the the entire system like the nodes connect to each other yes and and how and, and this number is pretty close because in the authorized dealers the 80s who sell new cars they are looking at about 70% trade-in penetration so if 10 people buy a car 7 they expect 7 trade-ins so it's quite close to what we're seeing hmm. that's, that's interesting in terms of also understanding the impact of new car to used cars, right? I mean, like, if used cars becomes poorly valued for some reason, then these guys can't move to another car, right? Because everything else becomes more expensive. Ah, yes. Conversely, if new cars were to tank, new car prices, I mean, were to go down, there'd be some impact on the used car side, right? Because people would rush to the new cars and ignore the used cars. Um, now, the truth is that there is always a population of people who will be looking at used cars and also a population of people that will always be looking at new cars. While the percentages might vary slightly, there will always be someone in the market. Yeah, And, and of course, if the prices go down, consumer demand goes down and then prices reflect that a new group of people will come in to accept that. An easy way to think about it is how I think about electric vehicles now, which is like today it's very, very encouraging to drive an EV because everywhere you go, you have a lot of uh, sort of uh, chargers available. It's easy to get lots in shopping malls that are dedicated for you to charge your vehicle, right? But as more and more people start to buy EVs, it's going to get more and more crowded. And when that happens, you're going to find it more and more difficult to charge. And then people gradually swap back into petrol cars as well, right? And I think at an even larger scale, if EV really takes off to be 50% of the population, I think fuel prices will come down and it might be cheaper to drive a petrol car than an EV car in the long run. 
wow, this is something I've completely did not see it coming. This is this is really interesting. It seems to run against the grain of what we've been told. We've been told that everybody will move into EVs because EVs are better in every way. They are more cost-effective, they're more comfortable, and just everything works. But now you're, you're telling me that you're, from your projection, we're actually going to have this return uh, interest into, into ICE cars, into combustion engine cars again? I think further down the line, when fuel prices plateau or come down, because currently fuel prices are really high. And for me, I'm driving an EV now. My fuel cost is, say, 30% of uh, my previous fuel cost. Fuel being your previously is like petrol, right? Petrol cost, yeah. I think that it's unrealistically no, low right now, and that will soon to creep up. If there's a global lack of uh, petrol demand, prices of petrol will come down and then we might get to a point where it equalizes or it becomes about uh, it becomes cheaper to drive a petrol car. But this is like a long-term 10-year trend projection that I'm seeing. So I wouldn't count petrol cars out of the race. So we're saying 10-year in Singapore terms, back to our favorite subject, is one, one lifespan of a COE. Yeah. Okay, so in one COE time, we might just see that, you know, petrols, the petrol engine car is going to say we're not dead. There's we're still dead, life yeah. in that. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Now, we're coming to closer to, again, the business of buying and selling used cars. I want to understand from your position, you know, some, some tricks, right? How do you make uh, more money, right, when you buy in a car as, as, as a trader? I think this is a loaded question. It's, it's difficult for <laughs> me to answer. But let me start with where does the money come from, right? So I would say that 50% of the profits come from financing. So let me give you some light into that. Okay. Financing commissions can be as high as 7% of the loan quantum of the car. That's to say, if you buy a $150,000 car and you take a $100,000 loan, the financing can be as high as $7,000 of commission for the dealer, right? So that's about 50% of the commissions for most dealers. Um, I would say that it's also, a, a lot of the money comes from the after sales of the car. So over the next few years, you come back for servicing and you do repair works with the car. I think that's where some of the money is as well. But upfront, most car dealers make really little from the direct buy and sell of the vehicle, right? So I think usually where they make is admin fees, a small differential in price, a lot of financing, and then the goodwill and after sale, sort of long-term customer sort of uh, lifespan. Mm. So, but in this, you're referring to more the, 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 the part of the business that sell new cars, right? Because used cars don't usually come with servicing and warranties and all this, right? I, I think used cars do as well. So um, if you buy like a five-year-old BMW, I think most people think they don't want to go back to performance motors for, or Euro cars for regular maintenance work. So they will find someone else. And usually it's the car dealer that they already know or have bought ah, from. Ah, okay, okay. So, so in other words, actually a lot of, I mean, there are, there are car dealers in, in business that actually also have workshop operations? Yeah, I would say most of the established players have their own workshop operations. The new players, they might not, but I think that if they are here for a slightly longer period of time, they will have. How, how so? I mean, why, why would they want to do that? Okay, so it depends on the size of your operations. So if you have a small operation, so like two or three people working in a team selling cars, I think you'll be able to feed yourself. But as long as you try to grow that operation, you'll need to have a varied revenue source that can support this team. So you'll need a workshop that you can constantly make money off every year. And these customers, because in your mind as a car dealer, you sold him the car, you want him to come back. 
Right? So more integration is required. So in the case of Caro, when you're dealing with how many thousand cars are we talking about? Five, six thousand a year? Yeah, so we transact about six thousand cars a year today. So in this transaction of six thousand cars, do you then have your uh, operations for, for workshops and insurance and all these required services? Yeah, all, we have all the ancillary mm. services here. So we have a full workshop. We can service your cars that you buy from us. And in fact, most of our customers do. We also have our own spray booths in the event that you need touch-up works. We also do our own insurance tie-ups. So you can come to us for renewals. So we'll go. my team will actually reach out to renew insurance with our customers year after year. So in on, on that front, right? So that's on the recurring side after you make your, your, your earnings at point of purchase. But then this recurring income, how... How do you, do you think there's something that it will continue to, in terms of scale, will it grow? Is, is there potential for growth? So it depends how many cars you sell, right? Um, because that's probably your customer acquisition channel. That's where your new customers come from. And then they drop out when they sell their cars away. So imagine you have a customer that comes in and I think most consumers in Singapore hold their cars for, let's say, three to four years. So then if they're out of your system, they buy a car from someone else, then of course, they might go to the other player's ecosystem. Mm. But if so customer chooses to buy another car from me, stays in my ecosystem. So actually we see that it's quite a it's quite a long journey for these customers. They'll be here for about four or five years each. Okay, so you're saying the typical tenure of a of a vehicle, at least from this owner buying that used car, it's about five years? I would say four. Four, four to five four years. years yeah. Okay. Okay, I want to understand some something as a car owner, as a vehicle owner. Can you give me, say, what would be your top two tips, right? On if I want to sell the car on, I'm I, I'm tired of the car or I'm the one who needs a sports car now. Top two tips when I want to sell that I can do as an owner that will put me in the best condition, best position to get a good deal. Okay, if you can hold on to the car, uh sell it yourself. If you have as a in de- find a, a buyer on the other end. Yes, find a buyer on the on the other end, right? List with someone like us, list with uh one of the other car listing pages. Um, you you probably can find a buyer. You you probably need some investment of time and effort. And, and in that case, get a good. Make sure your car is in good condition. No funny smells. Okay. Uh, you know, make sure it's clean of other cars' pain. Like you know, it's not it's not been an accident recently. Yeah, make sure it doesn't. It's not leaking all. No check lights. You know. Mm-hmm. No. And because the direct buyer is unsure on what he's he's actually looking at. Yes. Okay. And I think that's a. But if you have a hard deadline that you want to sell, then I think go to the platforms like Caro. Look, look at our prices and then determine whether the additional maybe 2-3% of the car's price is worth dealing with 100 people texting you at night about your car. Explore both options, right? You Sometimes um, the platforms will give you as competitive a price as if you list it yourself. Really? Yes, yes. Because I think they have the scale, right? To make it work. They can operationalize and they already have people looking at your car that you don't have the network to reach out to at the moment. But I, but that would be that doesn't I mean okay I know you 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 did express this point that that financing accounts for a, a a good chunk of your earnings from the used car dealership's perspective, but if I am as an owner I'll be shopping around and say hey someone else is selling a similar car on a platform for X number of dollars and you're saying that it is possible that I can actually give up my car to a trader for the same amount then you know it doesn't seem so obvious to me. Uh, it really depends on the type of car that you are selling, right? Mm-hmm. If you are selling a car that's very, in very great demand. In great demand, okay. And then, yes, I think dealers will offer you very, very close to what you're seeing being sold at, mm-hmm. right? 
and and that's what I alluded to just now, which is very very little comes from the price differential between um, how much I'm buying it from you and how much I'm selling it. A lot of it comes from commissions, after sales, ancillary services that I'm providing. Okay, so I think that's one. But if you have a car that's not in great demand, the hard to sell ones. Uh, I would say harder to sell. Either expensive or niche, right? Okay. In if you have those cars, then as a dealer, they would be taking a lot of risks, so they would need to buffer that in. Mm. Yeah, so for these cars, if you're not in a rush, sell it yourself. If you're in a rush, then go to the platforms. Know how much it's worth before you start selling your car. The biggest problem, I guess, is you talk to a guy and he gives you a price and you say yes. I feel like that's usually the worst outcome for you as a car seller. <laughs> Why? But I really, really want to get rid of it. <laughs> sure, but talk to many people and okay. get many, many prices. I hear you, I hear you. Now, you, you talk about the, the buffer for a dealer when he makes an offer, the risk. And then earlier, we also talked about the, the funding also comes with financing costs. They're, I mean, dealers are borrowing money, right? How, how do you measure the freshness of your stock? How many days for a used car dealership is considered, you know, between I've signed over the car and selling it on to make the money? What's the shelf life? Okay, I think for most dealers, the median should be about 60 days. I feel for most dealers, the median should be about 60 days. 60 days. So that's, uh, that's, that's two months. Yes. That they can hold for two months. Yes. After which, is it like, will they get a bit hungrier, more desperate? Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it really depends on the individual dealer as okay. well as the COE direction. If uh, COE is trending upwards, then I guess they are not too concerned. I but see, okay. like what we have now in an uncertain COE climate, right? Then everybody obviously wants the cars to move quickly. Nobody knows what will happen next round. But if they want to move quickly, then they'll be more likely to lower their prices or be more receptive to lowball offers? Uh, I wouldn't really say that because as a dealer, if I'm losing money to sell it, then I'm not very tempted even though it might be the best action, the best cost of action for me mm-hmm. because I may simply not have the money if I'm financed to the nose. Ah, I see. Yeah. So, so there's a risk. There because is. what if the, the, we carry on with this risk because you're financing that floor stock uh, uh, term that you use, right? The inventory financing. The, mon- the money comes to the dealership. It's tagged to each car. Am I right? Yes. The, so the, 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 fin- the, the financing company has rights to these vehicles. And if I hold this vehicle for 60 days, now I'm going to 70, I'm going to 80. Will I get flagged by the, by the banks and financial institutions or they just be, I'm cool with it as long as you keep servicing the loan? From what I understand, different banks or financial institutions have different policies around it. But I believe that it can be extended to 180 days. So what happens after 180? Oh, then... Debt collectors come. No, I mean, (laughs) they'll force you to... They they will... Actually, they'll force you to pay up that car. Pay up, okay. Yeah, and then they won't finance you for that car anymore. But there's nothing to stop you from to go to a different bank or financial institution. To refinance. To to refinance. Exactly. I see. Or you... I mean, maybe the common trick is to sell it to your friend and then let him finance it and you pay him for it. Like between car dealers, we swap cars. I, I don't do that, but I'm saying people do that. Also, another question is that when car, when one good buddy car dealer asks a, f- asks a friend, another car dealer to take over, it doesn't incur a transfer on your lock card and the vehicle lock card? No. So between car dealers, it's an e-transfer, ele- electronic transfer, and that's a temporary transfer. Mm. So there's a limit. I think it's uh, 350 days or something before it permanently becomes a one extra own account. I see, I see. Because this, this is a this is a important point to note. Sometimes I've heard of stories where people are spotting certain cars that they really like, and then this car will be listed on on a platform, 
it disappears, it comes back again, it disappears, and they're thinking, has the car actually been sold? And and the transfer count don't increase, so there's a chance that actually it has been passed from dealer to dealer as well. Yes. Uh, or maybe it was a car that's being consigned, you know, being listed mm. on behalf of the owner at multiple dealerships. So that might have also been the case. So back to this, we are at 60 days. Is a, it's an, you, th- you say it's a median period for, for, for used cars to be moved out of the lot. Yes. Are there even faster? I mean, can it be faster than that? I, I think internally, what we are at is, Caro is at is about 21 days now. And I think, I believe that we move cars one of the quickest in the market. So 21 is really one of the quicker ones. And, and we're talking about 21 consecutive days and not just working days, right? Yeah, 21 consecutive days, like calendar days. Calendar days. Yeah, and remember, I would have to refurbish the car, sell the car, get your loan approved. Yep. Yeah, so so that already takes up a good amount of time. We we'll say that most cars are have a buyer in within, say, 7 to 10 days. 7 to 10 days. Yes. Okay. That's quite fast considering that in a, in a, in the terms of the the cycling for new vehicles tend to be also like every weekend is when they when they close sales right yes is it also a similar trend you see with with uh, your customers is a peak periods on weekends we definitely see more sales on weekends mm-hmm. but we also do a lot of sales uh, on the weekdays i i think it's a function of how much scale we have if you're looking at cars I think Caro is the one place that you can see multiple mix or even multiple uh, of the same car, different colors, different years, and compare them side by side. That's not something that the typical car dealer would have in his in his or her inventory. But how does that work in a time when everything can be done online as well? If I'm looking for a, a I don't know a silver colored car of a certain vintage or a certain model, then, you know, I mean it's quite easy to see to to call up these cars that are on sale, right? Yeah, but. I mean, if you're looking for a particular silver-colored yeah. car, you might have to go to two or three different locations to look at two or three, but Caro might have two. Uh, so you might come here and look at two or three or um, even go elsewhere and look at one else, one more, mm, right? Okay. And then, of course, we, we stand for a lot more just than the car, right? We've done our um, work with the car. We refurbish, we present reports, and usually we're very transparent about how things are happening here at Caro. So... I think at the end of the day, there's a high trust factor to coming to Caro in the end for the consumer. So we talk about trust and we talk about um, the, the, just the sure variety and volume of cars. I want to come back to this topic of electric vehicles. How would you value an EV today as a, as from the used car dealership's perspective? Is it um, eyes wide open, this is great, or like a bit cautious still? Okay, interestingly, I am very bullish on electric vehicles in Singapore because of our geographic sort of uh, nature. A, we are very small. B, it's a lot of our, a lot of the population in Singapore actually goes to places where they can charge their car very easily. They just don't realise this because they're not looking at it. And I think C, we have really nice weather range. We, get, we never get too hot or too cold such that the cars don't work. Unlike, um, let's say, some temperate countries. With that being said, I find that the short distances that we travel on a daily basis, actually is very conducive for electric cars in Singapore. What I've done to try and support the growth of electric cars in Singapore is I've bought a fair number of them. And for people who sell their cars to Caro, we offer them an electric vehicle test-own scheme. So what, what it is you do is you get the car and then you drive it for two weeks or one week, depending on your car. And what you get, actually get to experience is, does it fit my lifestyle? 
So in the push to try and move more people to electric cars, we took the, we took the leap forward and we bought electric cars. And for everyone selling their cars to Karo, we give you one to try. So you, you bring it home, you try it for a week. So many of these customers come and say, you know what, I actually want to buy. And we've been um, selling them or referring them to the ADs. Or we actually just lease them one. So that might be a solution that is happening today as well. So in my mind, the way we think about cars today will be outdated when, when we transit more to an EV society. The reason is because when you look at cars, you think of things as like horsepower. How fast does it go? Um, but when you talk about EVs, you, you wouldn't think about that. You think about range. How far does it go, right? And you wouldn't really look at horsepower. You look at torque as the key metric. How fast can it accelerate? Now, as one of the largest players in the market today, I need to be leading the front here and telling my sales team, hey, we need to sell more EVs so that everyone can learn how to buy EVs. Because today, consumers don't think about EVs as much as they should, I feel. So, but I'm still not hearing you about valuation. Let's try again. If I have a model of, say, certain value, right? Let's, let's, let's pull a number and call it $200,000 for, for ICE, a combustion engine car. $200,000 brand new, $200,000 brand new for an EV. We're going to, to like, a, like a used car dealer. Is there, do they offer, in terms of like readiness to make a trade-in offer rate and also the absolute value, are they comparable? Because on one side, of course, if I if I I get the sense that you are a fan of electric vehicles, right? But that's on a personal front. But I think in the trade, are EVs being valued as highly or the same as a as a combustion engine or lesser? Because this is the unknown thing and all that. Okay, because surely, hang on now. Because if consumers are a little bit ignorant, are a bit naive about these things, they're not aware, then there probably be less demand for EVs as well, right? Okay, so a not every dealer will be inclined to offer you a price for your electric vehicle. Ah, okay. okay. So this is the start of How it. come? Because they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to measure. Remember, most dealers in Singapore, the average dealer has an inventory of between 12 to 18 vehicles. He does not know how to handle, he does not know where to go to in the event that this EV has a problem. So he's not familiar in the space. Therefore, it's better I don't touch it. I think that's the mentality. B, due to the lack of dealers offering for these cars, the demand is simply not as strong as a regular petrol car, which they can all understand. This is like we are saying, but from the new car side, when the, the beginning of life of the vehicle, right? So there like are the less first fewer time EVs yes, out there. Yes, okay. fewer EVs, not many people understand them. Perceived lack of demand, which I don't agree with. But in general, if you are trying to sell an EV, which actually not common today, not many people are selling their EVs. You, you will probably get a slightly impacted pricing. Ah, so even the fact that they are rarer, they are not more precious. For, no. a trade, for the trade, this is actually a, a minus. Yes, yes. When do you think projecting, because early on we are projecting that in the lifetime of a CEO, in 10 years' time, you know, EVs become so popular until, it, ironically, it, push, it, it, it gives a bit of draw for, for combustion engine. But how quickly do you think adoption rate will go for EV, at least on the new car side, which hopefully will roll on to the used car side of things. Yeah, I, I, think, I think change happens very slowly and then all at once. Okay. We are at 10% uh, of cars registered are EVs now. And I think that number will grow um, fairly dramatically over the next few years. And then you'll probably plateau close to like 30-40%, I feel. I feel like that's where we'll get to. Mm, so 30-40%. And then at 30-40%, I guess, with time, this 30-40% registration of new cars will enter into the used market. Yes, yes. 
So like in two in two years now, yeah. Basically, the people who are selling their EVs now are mostly Tesla owners from the COVID days. Mm. Yeah, no Those one else bought is it for cheap it. and now want to yes, sell for a lot yes. of money. Probably also they are <laughs> buying the new facelift. Uh, yeah, it's a bit. This doesn't it sound like they're treating cars like our mobile phones? We want the latest gadget with the bigger screen and the shinier whatever OS you have. I I think so. And actually, I think that that's like what Tesla has really done. They have made us think of cars as the new mobile phone. I want to come back to the point about used car dealers and all that. And oh, a few things. One, you said that the, 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 the preferred way, if you can afford the time as a private owner, is to sell it directly. The other thing is that used car dealers might not be so familiar and confident to make offers for electric vehicles because of lack of knowledge. Now, I think one difference that I see between buying a car from a private individual and buying a car from a used car dealership like yours is I don't have, uh, uh, the private individual will not be able to give me a protection with Lemon Law. If something goes wrong, is that a fear that you, that, that, I mean, is it, is it justified? Okay, I think that it is justified. I would like to also highlight that between two individuals, both of whom may not be really understanding of the condition of their car, when something happens, say, within 30 days, A, when you buy a car from a private individual, uh, Lemon Law does not apply. Okay, and B, and then you, you, you start to scribble over whose fault is this. So I think if you are buying your car from a direct owner, bring your car to an evaluation center and have it evaluated. You, you want to know the true condition of the car. And I think that's, that's interesting. I personally once bought an Audi TT Coupe, uh, sorry, convertible, at night from a private owner. I didn't realize there was a hole in the roof. <laughs> and I was so surprised he sold me at wait, such wait, a good price. this is before you joined Caro. Uh, this is before, this is before uh, okay, I joined okay, Caro. We, we need to yeah. Yeah, let so, your boss know yeah. that. <laughs> so, and then, we did it at night at, uh, I remember, like, somewhere in Siglap. And then, there was no light. And I couldn't see clearly. I thought it was a pretty okay car. But then I didn't realize that there was a hole in the roof. And that hole cost $8,000 to fix. Because it's a cabriolet roof. Yeah, so that was, a, that was a learning experience for me. Never buy cars in the dark. Okay, we should put it right up front of this yeah. <laughs> conversation. Never buy cars in the dark. Never buy cars in the dark. Yeah. Um, but still, I, I think we need to elaborate a little bit on what happens with Lemon Law. As a consumer, now let's just look at the buyer, right? I'm going to, now I get it from an from a established, from, from a company, from a trader, from a shop. What can the Lemon Law do to protect me? So if there's an issue with the car, it is assumed that it exists at the point when you bought the car. It As is assumed before. that before you bought the car. Okay. So within six months, if you highlight an issue, the shop would have to prove that it didn't come with an, if this issue, else he would have to fix it because it would be assumed that it came with the issue. Mm. Now, let's be clear. What is not covered? So consumables are not covered. I mean, brake pads, tires, wipers, things that are consumables, they are not covered. And then, um, most of the time, the concern here is in gearbox and engine. So there might mm. be a material flaw here or there might be something wrong with um, the gearbox on the engine and as as an owner you can no longer proceed to use the car now most conversations end here yeah so you tell them the problem then they offer to fix it for you I guess usually this goes away now obviously the problem will be that if this issue comes back multiple times and then I think to be clear if they cannot resolve it the third attempt you can force a buyback mm, so as a buy as a as a customer I bought this used car and there was say something the, the engine is always acting funny. Right? We send it back once, the dealer says, okay, I'll fix it for you, and then it came back again. Second time, came back a third time, I can then I have rights to insist. Yes, on a buyback. 
But is there a duration? Because like this can be quite long drawn, right? I mean, first time you put in, a month later, it came back again. Is that okay? I think it's six months. You got six months to do yes, this. You got six months. And this is this does this is not um limited by the age of the vehicle. If I happen to buy a nineteen year old car, yeah, or something like that, That's so way past is still valid. Exactly. And if it's a private individual selling to a private uh person, so buy and sellable private, there's no such thing that can protect they can fall back on. Yes. Just like in your case with the hole in the roof. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you cannot opt out of lemon law. You cannot sign a document that says, I agree not to be covered under lemon law because lemon law is a law. You you can opt out of a law. So you're saying that, are you coming from a position of knowledge that there are practices like this where, you know, some dealer might ask the buyer, you know, you can discharge him of this responsibility? Yes. Some of them will make you sign it and then... But it's not enforceable. It's not enforceable. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I think we learned quite a few tricks. I mean, thanks thanks for this so far. I want to ask uh, just one more question. And the question is, when is a good time to actually go and buy a used car? Please don't say now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So recently, my friends have come to me saying that they want to, oh, COE has dropped and they would like to buy cars. And I have enough of these uh, interactions to know that you cannot stop a person from buying the car he wants. There is no amount of persuading that will work to say, don't buy it. Right? And all I can say is, the long-term trend, I feel, is COU will trend downwards over the next, say, one year. And you should buy it if you really like it. I mean, if you like it, buy it. With the knowledge that in one year's time, it won't be so expensive. Uh, because you really want it. <laughs> yeah, and it's not going to be a huge dip from here, I guess. I mean, where we were at a few weeks ago, I think that's going to be a good amount. I think moving forward, uh, it might get lower, but it's not going to be back to 2018, you know? Hmm, okay, so we heard it first. Right, that, that will be your prediction as well on COEs. Yes. Great. Thank you very much, KY. Thank you for your time. Okay, cool. Well, that's a wrap for COE Watch, a podcast by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Lee Nian Zhou. If you resonate with the points raised, do share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read more of my transport articles, there's a link in the podcast show notes. Thanks for listening. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.